I'm Kathleen. And I'm Dee. And you're listening to Mamas with Attitude, otherwise known as MWA. Mama, 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 attitude. Some interesting, cool, South African, relevant yeah. content yeah. Um, on where we were at. Mm-hmm. You know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and forms. Mommy's a bounce. Mommy's a bounce. Is mama's the Jesus. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. You're in another zone, but you're totally out of the twilight. Mama. 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 Hey, and welcome back to MWA. Um, oh. <laughs> we're so excited to be here because I think, Dee, this is the first episode that we've done where you are not preggers. Amazing. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm exhausted. Um, I also have a four-year-old at a window, trying to open the window to get inside the room that I'm in. And now he's pointing to the, what do you call that handle thing? He's like, open. Okay. Hi, Towie. Yo, babes. It's like I think that this is an analogy for mothering. Actually, like these kids come out of our womb and are desperate to just get back in, and any by any way or any means necessary. So I hear you. Um, it sounds like things are busy on your end. How has Tao um, acclimatized to to Zawi? Um, he's been fine. Mostly very sweet and very gentle. Um, and he, he does this really funny, it's like really high pitched around this. So he goes, Hi, Sally Rainbow. Hi, Sally. And it's really funny, he does it every single time. So, um, but he's so chuffed with his life. Um, and then he also says really bizarre things like, um, I don't need to brush my teeth because I'm a big brother now. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And he is right. Well, not about so that. I don't know where this logic emerges from, but those are some of the things that we're dealing with. Um, yeah, it's it's been wild, but it's been incredibly um, beautiful. I think it's been a really special time. Yeah. Um, I was telling a friend um, today that it feels like it's been a very healing time for me considering what pregnancy and postpartum, early postpartum life was like for me with Tao. And I think um, that's been really nice, you know. Um, so, yeah, just like a wild time, trying to obviously do way too much. Um, yeah. But I think that really is also just how it is when there's more than one. And sure. people had said that before and I didn't understand it and I kind of have a little bit more of an inkling of it now. Mm. So I think yeah. it's absolutely wonderful. It's been wonderful wonderful to watch you as well from afar. Well, not that far, but from afar. Yeah. Um, it does seem like, I mean, it is busy and frantic and all the rest, but it, as you said, oh, it's, it's been such a wonderfully magical time actually. Yeah. And I'm very grateful that she's out in the world and in the most beautiful way possible, right? So, totally. yeah. Totally. And you, how are you? Absolutely fine. Um, Things have been busy, but I think for everyone and really feeling like we're amping up towards the end of the year, only hopefully, hopefully to ramp down. Um, So it's been really like just quite like full on days, really long working hours, um, fairly consistent in terms of just like thinking 
through and actually taking care of myself. So like doing like really nice workouts, which has been amazing, um, fairly consistently. Um, And yeah, it's been good, actually, uh, all in all. Yeah, there's no real news, actually. How how sad is that? How sad. Okay, so I think that there's always a lot that you and I have to speak about, actually. Um, But I think seeing that we've both been so um, succinct in our uh, descriptions of our current lives, I think I am going to move on to introducing our guest, who we are incredibly excited to have on MWA. Um, I'm also as excited to read her bio out to you all, um, which had me in chuckles. Um, So today we have um, Charlene Khan um, on MWA. And I'm going to read this, which is she's written in the first person. And I hope you don't mind, Charlene. She has also sent me her her very... um, Professional. Yes, very snazzy professional. professional yes. <laughs> when she's invited to very <laughs> places. Um, and, uh, and she's, yeah, so I have all of that, but I'm actually not going to do any of that. I'm going to, I'm going to read what Charlene has sent as she's written it. My major love is literature, African literature, sci-fi, crime fiction, Nordic and Japanese and fantasy. Oh, she says, sorry, I started that incorrectly. So she says, here's my bio and CV. And she says, what these don't say is my major love is literature. And then she says, they also don't say that I have oodles of useless popular culture knowledge. She does. I've seen her present on many things and she ad-libs just like that. Uh, She's a huge Jane Austen fan. I cry during soppy romance movies and any movie where the dog dies. I love that. (laughs) She says, I was never smart enough to be a nerd. She's lying. More of a geek, but I do cream myself occasionally over good theory. Babe, this had me in stitches. I totally, totally resonate. And when I said I do cream, I had to read it twice. This is amazing. Lemon cream? What? No, girl. I knew. I knew. I knew. <laughs> You're so sweet, dear. <laughs> she says, I waver between having diehard positions and having faith in nothing, including that everything we do means so much and absolutely nothing at all in the greatest scheme of life. I'm ain't that the truth. Ain't that the truth? I'm very interested in narrative as method, which I think is uh, its so wonderful that you've said that, um, yeah. Charlotte, because I think it's so much of what we do in this podcast, right? Yeah. Um, she's interested in camera and how it is a form of testimony, a fixer, a framer, a violator that can be used mm. in dialogues where subalterns can speak without interlocutors, mm. in education as liberator, oppressor, and mimesis. I love and hate sewing as a form of femininity and tactility. I hope you'll speak to this uh, when we speak about when the moon waxes red, Charles. Um, Mm -hmm. I love fashion. I have body issues still. I feel stuck at 12 and 16 years of age on alternate days and yet have a very assured sense of self, paradoxically. I love gesture Mm -hmm. and gesturing and no one can make more mockery of myself than me. Um, so I think that's just beautiful, beautiful yeah. Mm. And um, just to say a little bit about the, 
the who is Charlene, um, the the one on the the the, the one that gets invited to the fancy pr- um, presentations. Charlene Khan is a South African visual artist, and she works in multimedia installations and performances, which focus on the socio political realities of post apartheid and the intersectionality of race, gender, and class. And that's massive. Um, and again, I hope we get to touch on that a little bit as well, because it comes out so powerfully in all your work, um, Charlene. So thank you for making the time and welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope you enjoy this little bit of time with us. You know, if I knew you were going to read that bio out, I would have given it more thought. <laughs> I'm grateful that you didn't. I'm grateful that you didn't. I'm glad you didn't. I giggled all the way through. Thank you. <laughs> That's why I didn't tell you that I was going to read it. I was like, if she doesn't know. Fine. But also, sorry, just to say, just to interject before you before you go further into the, the introduction and Charlene, before you speak, is also to say that you're the co co-convener of FMs, the conference. Yes, of course. And I think that that's massive as well. Yes. So just to say, like, it's thank you for that space. Co- co-founder. Yeah, of- yeah. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. So thank you for holding that space and, and putting that space together for, for others to be held. It's incredible. Sure. Thank you very much for this invitation um, to speak to the brilliance of both you, Kathleen and Dee. Uh, it's, it's, it's really an honor. Yeah. Thank you, Charles. Okay, so I am going to do a little bit of an intro as to what we're doing today. So, um, Charlene, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why we wanted to have this chat with you was to speak more broadly. Um, and I know that in your work, you you speak as a Black feminist. I've encountered your work in a host of ways, both theory and artwork. Um, I've seen how you teach. I've seen how moved students and audiences have been by your by how you speak and how passionately you speak. And so when Kath and I spoke about where do we want to move to next, right? Like which way do we want for the podcast to move next? Um, we spoke a lot about the project of mothering, right? So in other words, thinking about what does it mean to practice care in this way that is often associated with motherhood or with mothering in a in a way where that is a it's a personification of a woman who has who has birthed an, another person right and we know that that work is broader than that it's bigger than that and um certainly feminist work um speaks a lot to larger projects of mothering Hmm. Um, and so I wondered if you maybe wanted to speak a little bit to what what that means to you. Where does the the the, the thinking or practice of care, um, either as mothering or not as mothering, where does that land for you? Yeah. So maybe just to open up bro- generally with something like that, hmm. if that makes any sense. I can keep talking. Hmm. Well, I had a mother. So that's where that starts from. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I had, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of other mothers. Mm. And, um, you know, in terms of my, my older sisters, in terms of aunts, and incredibly uh, fortunate 
in terms of academic mothers. And, and, and those played a vital role uh, in terms of me becoming a visual artist. Yeah. Mm. And, 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 I, and I singularly would not have become a, a, a visual artist uh, and an academic had, had it not been for, 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 for the woman who stepped in. Mm. You know, because I, 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 uh, you know, I, I, had a, I had a really good uh, art teacher to, and, and, and he was somebody who uh, was a visual artist and uh, you know he 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 helped get me. He believed that I was meant to be an artist, mm. and he stood up to my mother in a way. In that brief second in which her her vision failed for me, because my mother um, had wanted me to become to go into the sciences, you know, because she had wanted to be a nurse. Uh, my mother only had standard three education, mm-hmm. um, and when my 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 second sister fell pregnant at the age of sixteen, uh, and and we'll discuss this a bit more because you know I ended up taking my mother and I ended up taking care of my of both my sister's children uh, since the time I was twelve years old, um, and and so you know my my mother basically was was trying to live out her dream through me. Of uh, you know of of me becoming following in the sciences of possibly becoming a radiologist. Uh, I I finally settled on microbiology. So in some way she was hoping that I would be going to the sciences. Mm. And so when I then decided I wanted to become an artist, my mother was just devastated that I I was I was pursuing this thing. Wow. And. And so my, my 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 high school teacher was like, "You were you are meant to be an, an an artist. This is what you are meant to be." And you know, he took me for the interview at university. It got me the interview, and it was a, a um a, one of my male cousins who called my mother up and said to her, "Do you remember this prophecy that was given to you when this child was born?" And um, there was a prophecy that when I was born, that told my mother. When she decides what she wants to be, you are not to stand in her way. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so my mother then remembers this. And she and she and she just, you know, because she hadn't spoken to me for three days when, when I decided this. Oh. And and then my mother completely changes. But from that point onwards, you know, my teacher leaves my world. And the the next person who comes into my my, my world is my is my a lecturer. And she just returned from from uh, the UK the year before, and she's she doesn't have any children. She's a very weird person in the department, and she becomes my mentor till this very day. So for twenty five years, she's been mentoring me, and she introduces me to somebody else who also, when she you know when she moves away to India. This person has now been mentoring me as well for over twenty years. So, if if you don't have anyone who's uh, who's um, an, a visual artist or who are academics and stuff, these are the people who stand in the gap for you, who help you to build a vision for yourself. You know, when you don't have people in your family who, if you're the first person yeah. to go to university mm. in your family. They are the people who stand in the gap with you, you know, who tell you how to fill in a bursary application, who tell, tell you how to set up a portfolio, who are, who are at the end of your degree are, are going, 
are you not going to do a master's? Mm. Who, who sit you down and say, what are you doing? You're spending all your time chasing boys. Is this the way you want to go in your life? <laughs> and, and I really was chasing boys. So, were you yeah. chasing boys or were they chasing you? Let's be honest. I really was chasing them. So. <laughs> okay. I, I, I missed, two, I missed, I missed a, a whole semester of Greek philosophy because I was chasing them. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. What? Yeah? What was it? She like, uh, she also, uh, that's funny, but she doesn't even know how to talk. Mom, today, after I gave her a really big hug and made me very sad. Oh. I did so. Today, I'm not going to do that. And this, the baby isn't here. Good guy. Um, Charlene, do you want to speak a little bit about um, your mom? In When the Moon Waxes Red, your mother's role is central, right? Mm. Um, do you want to speak a little bit about how you come to do that work? It's a big question, but I, I mean, I've watched it a few times. I've cried in parts. I've sat there completely like in, in awe, in shock. Do you know what I mean? Like there's so many emotions that come through in the video because you're speaking in narrative. You're speaking about real things that happened to you, to your mother, to your siblings. So I, I'm curious to know how... How that work comes to life, keep, you know, um, 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 bearing in mind what you just said, right? That you had, you've had, you had a mother, of course. Um, and for our listeners, um, Charlene, if you don't mind, um, Charlene is speaking in the past tense because her mother has passed. Um, although I believe you still have a mother. How, through the, when the moon waxes red, how do you think about, how do you get to that point where you're able to, to take that, the, that memory, those memories, those feelings as a child and translate them into, put them into your work? Um, I know, I'm sure it's not as separate as I'm making it sound, but I feel like that must have something to do with also your relationship to your mother and how you think about it. Mm. So, yeah, I, I want to, I also just want to finish with the, the last question, because I think what, you know, the way you phrased it as the project of mothering yeah. is, is so important. Mm. Because, because for me, when, I, when you say that, you know, what, what mothers do, whether they are, you know, biological mothers, whether they are adoptive mothers, whether they are other mothers, mm. um, it is a world building exercise, you know, and feminists speak about that world building, world creating, yeah. world making. That's what mothers do. And, you know, and, and, and artists understand that, right? Yeah. You, ta you take what seems to be nothing to other people's eyes and you create something all around that and you create almost magic out of that. Mm -hmm. We do that all the time. That's what creativity is. And that's what mothers are constantly doing. 
they take this bundle of something <laughs> and, and, and they just are constantly making a, a decent human being. No matter what happens, they constantly are concentrating on your potential, on your goodness, on your yeah. humanness. Yeah. And they are always just focusing, even when you're not able to see that within yourself. That's what mothers do. Mm. I, you know, and, and it sounds so simple, but when you're a mother and you're tired and you're frustrated and you're so hurtful and at the same time when you see how mothers respond there's some that's where the real magic is you know that that, that's what it that's what world building is it's not the absence of all the negativity it's not all the absence of that crap but it's the refusal to give into that and focus on the potential and the hope that is there. And, yeah. and that's, that's massive in a time like this, right, when the world seems like it's in this devastating place that it is, yeah. that we always focus on, on, on what the potential is and what is good and sane and decent and all of that that is there. So, so returning to your other question, you know, um, that that's something you know that 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 was that 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 defines my mother right my mother had like the most unbelievable life you know she she grew up um you know her her her, her own mother was illiterate uh, her father was 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 a philanderer he was uh, alcoholic he was abusive um he was uncaring to them and um and, and and she had a very wonderful loving mother um and and so she grows up in in a life of poverty uh because of this father uh with seven other siblings uh out of uh, out of 11 children uh you know four with with uh, the others uh, passing away she, she's the eldest of the seven. She, she has to take care of all of the, the younger siblings, including the youngest who are, are twins. Um, she has to, she, she, at, at, by the time that she's, she's, she's grade, she's uh, standard three, she has, to, she has to give up schooling, which she absolutely loves. It's, it's her only sort of, you know, the only space in which, you know, she can be herself. She's intelligent. Um, she's she's good at sports. She's good at art. But that's the one thing she has to give up. And she's devastated when she has to do this, right? Um, even though it's clear that the other kids at school make fun of her. Um, she's Every day is a, is a struggle for food in her family. And her having to give, her and her other brother having to give up their food for the other ch- younger children. Uh, making money and the kinds of even abuses that come along, you mm-hmm. know, uh, from from having to to go to other people's houses and work in order to to get monies uh, for food and stuff, um, and 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 so she and then at thirteen years old she's given away to this much older man, in uh, to whom her father owes a gambling debt, sure. debt, mm-hmm. and for the next twenty two years. She's beaten 
uh, every weekend when he returns uh, from from wherever he is, uh, he um, he he damages her brain. He he you know breaks her arm, her leg. There's one Christmas she misses because she's she's uh, you know unconscious in the hospital. Mm. Um, and so she, and so she she has this you know she has this devastating history with this man. When when my father finally convinces her, and my two older sisters are from this. This 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 uh, stepfather of mine, my my younger brother and I from this other, uh, my dad. When she finally, my father finally convinces her to divorce him because you know in the eighties nobody ever divorced. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the shame and everything. Yeah. Um, and she was all constantly sent back by her her brothers and stuff yes. um, to to him, um, and she had no economic means whatsoever mm-hmm. to leave. Um, so, so it's it's only after my father manages to convince her to leave, but of course, my, my, my father had chemical imbalance, and he starts beating her up, and and so, and so you know she then suffers with the shame because now she can't admit to anyone anyone else that this is happening now for the second time, and this is now a, lo- a love relationship as well, right? Yeah. It's not happening as consistently. With, as with my stepfather, but it's only when my my dad goes into this blinding rage, and and um, and but but the the hallmark with my mom was was that despite everything thrown her way, I, I and I still don't get it right. But she was goodness and kindness personified, and she had an incredible sense of humor, and and, and she and she and her brothers. All grew up grew up with a remarkable sense of being storytellers, mm-hmm. and and so they would sit together, um, and they would when they would all be sitting around each other, they would tell all these stories of going to school and the hardships and stuff. So what you hear me in this in this video love letter yes. is is literally me just telling you the stories in the way my mother told them. Wow, it, it's not even because it's not even much of my creativity on my part because it's really just me telling it in my voice. Yeah. But we, but we just grew up with it was so visceral the stories. I was just transported in time and space to the moment when these things happened, mm. um, and and so from two thousand and nine, you know, I, I always realized there was a project there. But and I saw from 2009, I started collecting these stories. I just didn't know how to escape the kind of Indian stereotypes that I'd been like trying to run away from my whole life. You know, the the samosa selling shopkeeper, sure. uh, lower class Indian uh, with the bad accent, and you know mm. the tooth the tooth gap one that you always see on the TV. Anytime a reporter comes around, they find that one with the tooth gap. Uh, <laughs> do, do you know it? Because they do this with the colors as well, right? They do it with the colors. That's just laughing. And it, it doesn't matter. Even if they went to the University of Cape Town, they would find, find the colored language. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and and so it was like I just didn't know how to escape these things, right? The 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 Hindu gods and goddesses and all of that, and so uh, uh, the Guptas and the Gandhis and everything. <laughs> yeah. And so I. I 
and then and then you know that that's on the one side right the stereotypes outside the community and then on the other hand is all this you know when 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 the community reacts against this stereotype they become overly sentimental mm-hmm. they're like we're not like that so they become like overly romanticized mm-hmm. and overly sentimental mm-hmm. about themselves and so you can't shame your own community mm-hmm. and you can't really discuss all the what can you say the underbelly of the community you can't discuss the violence uh that is within the community the abuses that are going on you can't you can't tell truths yeah. and so yeah i didn't know how to speak truths that were happening without without feeling like i was betraying my community mm. and it, and so it was only when i mean i'd done a number of video artworks before before this um but it was when i came to mariama bas uh, so long a letter that mm. i i was i i felt like i'd i'd found a you know real inspiration in that in the way she's writing to her friend of the way she's been betrayed by her husband a family community structures and then i was like this could work as as a video love letter mm. um writing to my mom and by writing to my mom i could write to my grandmother i could tell her a story i could write to my sisters i could write to my niece yeah. and by telling their story i could invite other women and other mothers and other migrant stories to 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 perhaps come and identify with our other story mm-hmm. so it it wasn't a betrayal of our community it was a very personal story that i was saying and i was it was it was extending uh, an an invitation you know in in the sense that nick nikki giovanni talks about mm-hmm. um uh the particular uh, uh you know the particular extending into the universal mm-hmm. um and so that's that's really that's the that's really the crux of it you know was was really was really trying to capture my mother's story and to 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 because because the video work is just one part of it right because it's an it's an entire installation yeah. it was about the it and 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 what and what started it was was my mother telling me about the fact that my grandmother made lace and i didn't even know you could make lace by hand yeah. so the fact that here's my illiterate grandmother sewing lace with just needle and cotton and my mother started describing it and you know i'm, I'm a very visual person mm. um so if you tell me if you tell me you're having sex i i just instantly be imagining it <laughs> <laughs> so so immediately this this image of my grandmother sitting there sewing this lace came into my head and and that really started the project and so i I I decided I I went out and I started researching handmade lace and I was like but how did my grandmother know about this, about how to make handmade lace then I discovered about how Venice the Venetian uh uh trade of of uh, or skill of handmade lace moved to India in the 1700s and and how that became the the start of a commercial uh you know industry that or the which which became um the you know the the industry that that we know as as uh women's industry you know uh the ways in which um 
the ways in which uh, commercial uh, garment making is done. You know, this this woman works on this part, this pocket. This woman works on this leg. So they don't even allow all only one woman is tasked to put everything together because they don't want. Yeah all the women to know how to make everything because they scared that the woman would steal their, their stuff. So, oh. so all of that was pioneered in, in through the lace making in, in India. Wow. And then and then it was taken over in 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 China with the mechanization uh, industry thereafter. Um, and so I was so so it became also tracing then uh, a larger phenomenon of lace making and capitalist uh, production in the in the garment industry and um, and 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 then it became about how you know migrant women the kinds of of skills that they have how they carry those skills and the knowledge base with them mm-hmm. and speaking to agency and and how women how women just um, how women you know um, how. Yeah, what what they go through to sustain themselves and their families, and just the project just became about choosing to read across the grain. Whether it was choosing to read suicide across the grain, uh, all the stories about women killing and burning themselves, mothers yeah. choosing to kill themselves and leave children. How could that be read in another way? Uh, how could um, how could uh, you know uh, illiterate women and working in in these these you know cleaning graves be read in another way? Mm. So so it was it was just constantly trying to find agency in in lower class working class lives sure. where there was silence around it. Mm. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Open it. Say it again. Open it. Open it. Say it. Must we open it, Papa? Open it. Open it. Colleen, you've already touched on the the lace and the stitching and the. But I um for those who I mean. I want to say we'll put up some of these uh, links and stuff either on Instagram and also just make it available so people can see mm-hmm. what you're talking about. But I mean, the meticulous nature of sitting through that stitching, um, I I remember seeing you do it and being like, what, how, you know, just mm-hmm. the same not painful, a- painful. Yeah, I mean, and, and really, I mean, you know, one must literally sit through the tedium of it, you know? Um, so I think that's, I think it's incredible. Um, but I wanted to touch on, Kat, maybe is there anything you want to jump in on? Well, I just wanted to say that the sitting through the tedium um, around mm-hmm. stitching is much like mothering, right? Where you yeah. sit through the tedium of the, the everyday and so much of it is actually quite monotonous, monotonous and tedious mm-hmm. um, in this kind of hope. And I really loved, um, Charlene, what you were saying around that's what mother, mothering is. It's this kind of magical um, exercise of world building. You called it world building. And I just... Um, it's it so while while the outcome and moments can be magical actually a lot of it um 
and likening it to 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 the work that artists do is actually um, a skill and a discipline and a showing up every day um, mm. and really sitting through, as you say, Dee, the tedium of it all with the expectation that the outcome will be a specific thing, um, but also not holding mm. onto that expectation too tightly um, mm. because we also know that the nature of work and working on something is that you give it what you can um, mm. and really it becomes its own thing. And yeah. that too is just, um, is incredibly fragile, you know. Yeah. But you're not allowed to say that, right? The, all of these things. You're not allowed to say mothering is tedious. No, you're not. You're not allowed to say that mothering is tiring. You're not allowed to say that sometimes I really don't like my children very much. Absolutely. Um, you're not allowed to say I like this one more than that one. Okay. <laughs> you're not allowed to say those things. And I think I, I think that that's part of the reason why we started this, Charlene, is really just to start having a little bit more um, hard conversations, right? Like those sorts of things that exactly what you're saying, like, I don't like all of this actually. Um, and sometimes I like it even less for a lengthy period of time where you ask yourself, have I made the right decision to embark on this project? And you, while you're, you're, you 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 can feel that way. You can't wish them away. They can't go away. Mm. Um, they're very much present and around. And it's just, yeah, yeah. Mm. You, mm. So one of the, um, you know, speaking about the present and about the what you're not allowed to say, I feel like I want to come back to this idea of narrative as method. And mm. I um, I'm looking at your at the book. Charlene, for when the moon waxes red. And there's just a bit that I want to quote. And it's, how do we speak of ourselves and represent the interwoven, textured, colored narratives, which are our lives? How do we pull ourselves from the four corners that a racialized wind has sent us on to, quote, re-member, our fractured selves and our histories, as Bell Hooks does, to acknowledge this act as an invention inspired by real events, a biomethography, as Audrey Lord calls it, which remembers a general outline of an incident, the details of which are different for each of us. And I just think for me that there are many moments in this uh, book that were very touching for me, but in thinking about speaking with you today about this larger project of mothering, you know, I feel like a lot of what what gets done in the project of mothering is piecing together this narrative of and and then of course as you said Charlene the action the doing the the world building magic that happens from nothing right from the tedium but it's also interestingly with a little bit of distance you forget so so in order to like remember anything you have to piece together a narrative that is yours but it doesn't mean that that's the narrative that that is theirs right whether your children's or your partner or your extended family or a best friend so and 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 what you're saying about when the moon wax is red and how you're saying this story wasn't kind of outing the community or you're saying this is my story this was my story this was my mother's story I want you to bring this to life. Mm. Um, I feel like what you're also saying is that this is this is my, you know, you're saying this is how her and her brothers spoke about things and incidents that they remembered, real life things. But you're also saying this is your memory of it. And I think that 
in this narration of a narration, I think there's something really valuable and powerful there speaking about mothering because of this notion of forgetting. So much of the doing is about doing in the present. And you, when you then do reflect back, whenever you do, you know, it's different. It's something that you've created. It's a narrative, mm-hmm. which I just, I find really fascinating because then as you're saying about having had academic mothers, mothers along the way, Mothers are all around us, essentially. And each part of your life is like a narrative in and of itself. Um, so, yeah, I just I find that really interesting. I'm just thinking about how this notion of narrative and memory comes together. Um, but also that there's a lot of sadness here, you know, not to um, not that I'm wanting us to like go down this uh, path of uh normalizing black pain again mm. but i think um mm. yeah i i think i think it's it's just an interesting point to to kind of pause at yeah i don't know if you want to say anything about that i've kind of gone on a bit of a ramble but i think there are a few things that have come up based on what you said that i find really interesting mm. really lots of food for thought there um i mean I mean, there is lots of sadness, you know. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there's deep regret uh, on my part. <clears throat> I mean, my my mother struggled till till um, t- till till she till she passed away. So in the last um, two years of her life, she was diagnosed with kidney disorder, and um, so so I'm Christian. Mm-hmm. I always have been, and my mother, and and that came from my mother. My father was Muslim. Um, and and I don't want my dad to come across as as a bad person. I mean, I, so much of who I am, including a feminist, comes from my dad. Uh, this this you know unequivocal voice, this hectic stance that I have, uh, is all from him. Um, uh, and and I, and I think that's that's uh, the uh, the disclaimer I want to give for when the for for this 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 video and and and. And and I set it up with the understanding that I knew he was going to be the bad guy, sure. but but this this I needed I, I needed this feminist video to have a story arc, and in good story arcs, <laughs> there needs to be a bad bad Absolutely. guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I was okay with him being the fall guy. Mm. I, I I was okay with that, um, uh, because. Their stories were so important that I thought it was okay for him to be sacrificed in that um, in that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even even as now, I think you know. I wonder if there's a way, to, you know, if there's another part to this work, a different work where there's there's a work about mental health and my dad, where he gets to be recuperated in other ways. Yes, in in his own story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that, but that's something separate. This work is is I, I'm I'm okay with that, um, and so you know so so you know and and I remember when when she was diagnosed, her diagnosis came uh, in that same week. He 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 was in the hospital and he died very. It it was it 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 was a shock, right? Uh, he went in. He was. Uh, he he was. He had. 
he had a th- he had to change the that box in his throat because um you know he had that i can't remember what it's called now the larynx so that yeah what is, is that 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 little voice box in that throat Isn't it okay. larynx yeah you, you you'll have to you'll have to i'm going what you're saying okay <laughs> 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 my brain is not working now. Were they together by the, at that stage still? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so at, at one point, I, you know, my, um, at, at one point, and the and the, the the film does discuss it. I stood up to my dad, and I told him that you know there was no way I'm allowing you know this kind of thing to continue, and and he, and it stopped in my family the the kind of physical violence. Um, but and and we never spoke for two years, which was very difficult for me. Uh, and we did reconcile uh, with my mother asking me to, but it, and again, this is this is how much my dad loved me, that he was willing to stop everything in order to to have his daughter back. Um, how old were you at that time, Charlene? In this was in this was in my thirties, so this was I was I think I was around thirty two when this happened. Okay, um, so. So, so, so it was very. Diff- so, so he goes under this operation, uh, and he comes home. He's lost his voice because they, the something was was wrong with the operation, and the, uh, his vocal cords are swollen. And he goes to bed. Um, I hear him going to bed. I go to the bathroom. I come back out. I realize I can't hear that type. I go to the room. He's he's passed away in fifteen minutes' wow. time. So it was. It was incre- incredibly traumatic, and my mom is in in the hospital. Well, my mom just came home from the hospital. She's just been diagnosed with kidney disorder, sure. so we, you know he he sure. we have to bury him the same day because he's Muslim. Uh, I just come back like three weeks earlier from the UK, uh, and I just come home to spend time with him during the op, and that was it. Uh, before I went off again, and and so my whole world is turned upside down. Um, and now my mom's been diagnosed with kidney disorder. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, I, I was actually felt relieved that he had passed away before she had to go through all that she had to go through. Because I couldn't imagine her having to take care of him going through what she went through. Yeah. Uh, which was which was like the worst thing to think about, and and you know, but but and and I still maintain that my mother would never have have been able to go, you know, to take care of herself over that last two years, if my dad had been alive. Uh, and you know, you know, as a daughter who loves her father, to think something like that is is yeah. is just the worst thing, you know. Um, uh, but then, yeah. So, so I, you know, I've I've gotten this, you know, this all of these these ideas about Christianity from my mom, and I'm still very much a believer. But then to watch her, you know, having to go through everything she went through in those last few years, and I'm like, but God, you know, uh, why would you know from the time she was born, she she struggled. Yeah. Why would you allow her in this last two years now to also go through that? But even during those times in in a hospital. You know, in the dialysis care center, she became an inspiration to so many other people. She became somebody who spoke who spoke to other. You know, the, the the doctor would call her to come and speak to other people around uh, kidney uh, disorder and stuff like that, which she loved doing because it's somehow you know singing out her little calling as a nurse oh, and stuff like that. <laughs> 
even though she pronounced dialysis wrong every time. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 so you know it it. And and I also felt responsible as somebody who you know whose whose career had been si- derailed by speaking about uh, speaking out against racism. I I personally felt responsible for what my parents went through because if I hadn't spoken about uh, out against racism, then I would have had a t- an academic position earlier in my life. And and that moment when I went home, you know, from the UK, the three weeks earlier, I went home and when I opened up the fridge. There was only a, a jam and a and a, a butter in the fridge, and I remember like like just being devastated, sure. and my and my mother crying, and she's telling me, well, you know, things got really bad, and we didn't want to stress you out, wow. and and I, and I. And I and I t- and I was like, oh, let's go to the, you know, let's go to the hospital. I mean, let's go to the shopping mall. But going in the room and just crying my mm. eyes out to think that, here, you know, here, look what my parents went through in their youth, and now at this age for them to be going uh, through this. Mm. So I go and I go and I, I buy everything and I stock everything up, not knowing that I'm, you know, buying and making things for my father, which is going to all be his last meals those wow. three weeks. Sure. Um, my goodness. And, and so, you know, the, the regret that I have, the deep regret that I have is that the, the few things that I wanted to do for my parents, like take, you know, go on a trip with them to India and to to give them a credit card in their hand that they could use without ever having to worry about stuff. And, mm. and you know, just... You know, to get to buy my car, my dad a car. You know that didn't. You know, so he didn't have to worry about something that broke down all the time. Those are the, those are the things that you know the dreams you can like never get back as a child. Just yeah. like you know, and 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 I hear these messages like you know Christian messages like God will give you back everything that's that's been taken away from yeah. you. Like actually, you can never actually give not. me back that. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I know I live right now in a really beautiful house in Auckland Park, and like since my parents died. Like, like I just see like blessing upon blessing upon blessing because my because my mom, like when she got sick, she kept she kept like she was so upset at me because I refused to take out a life policy on her. And she's like, I have nothing to give you. I've never been able to give you everything you've gotten. You've gotten on your own. You've studied. You've worked hard. Please just do this. Take out a life policy on me so that you can get something in your life, and I can I can feel like I, I've given you something. And I was like. If you give me your blessing, that is all I want. That, that's mm. all. That's I know that because if I'm a Christian and I see that that has worked for other people in the Bible, that's all I'm taking away from you. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm stealing that from my elders. <laughs> I'm dodgy like that. <laughs> and so, and so. I swear, you know, and, and since my parents have died, I've just, I, you know, there's been one blessing after the other. And so I live in this amazing house in Auckland Park and I, and I have this amazing job and stuff, but, but there's nothing that can make up for not having done what I wanted for my parents, you know. So I, I live with that deep regret. But getting back to also the, that, that thing about, you know, forgetting as well, I think there's, there's that's such an important point. Um, you know, so 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 I think when the moon waxes red, because my mom my mom passed away three weeks before it opened in Durban. Oh wow! And um, so so it's fueled with a lot of that sadness. Mm. Uh, it's it's fueled with a lot of 
pain that I feel uh, around around a grandmother who she died when I was four years old, and I think a lot of uh, you know us as grandchildren feel like we wish she was she was alive that we could have loved her and taken care of her. Uh, all of these women that that we could never have saved. Yeah. Um, and and even even in a sense, even our own mum that we couldn't save. Mm. Like we like we ran out of time mm. uh, because it just feels like just just time was never on our side because we were always struggling with our own lives as well mm. uh, and our own battles. Uh, we just never got to do what we wanted to. Um, and and uh, you know you know our working class life was just always just grabbing at our heels in a way, mm. um, and 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 I'm sure you know people who might be listening to that can can sometimes relate to that, and um, uh, and and I and I don't know if I I don't know how how you how you forget that, but I think forgetting is sometimes a very necessary part of sure. of. Of that process, yeah. Because because I, I I recognized it in myself, you know, when I was younger and and I was chasing after those boys, mm-hmm. and um, one of the things I realized is that yeah, you know, I have I had a great one of these great Indian elephant memories, right? Um, which I never applied to my schoolwork, but when it came t- time to <laughs> to being in love i could remember every single detail from the time i met the person every single thing that they did or said everything i had like like photographic memory but applied to love and and the the flip side of that was that when things didn't work out those things would play over and over and over again in my mind. But they said this, but they did this, but, but, mm. but, but, but. And, and I just couldn't let go. Years later, I would be wrapped up in that, like still in that moment, like feeling it still. I, uh, and and it was in, in in a particular case with somebody that I fell in love with when I was, when I was 18. And, and in like 10 years later, I was still in that even when this person had moved on and married somebody else. And, and, and I realized, you know what? Um, like eventually, eventually I was like, in order to actually get over this, I actually, in order to forget, I had to, in order to let go, I had to forget. Yeah. And, and I had, I had to forget everything. Like, I actually, in order to forget the bad, I had to even forget the good. Good. Mm. Yeah. So I had to like stop thinking about the person in in like entirety, and it was really sad because you know you don't want to forget the beautiful moments. You know, uh-huh. you don't want to let go of that. Uh, yeah. But 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 you gotta let go. <laughs> Look at her. <laughs> Is she excited? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I had a lovely day, and you and you even see me later, and we were very good. Well, you were waiting for me, and then when I came back, you were smiling, and I was very happy. And the time I got back, it was time for me to watch my iPad, then I could watch 
from my grandma and then I'm to watch my so my iPad then I was time from eating my lunch and cooking my ice cream then I started boiling my dinosaurs and after time I jumped the view. Mum, I think she's trying to say something. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, just to let you know, um, you'll make more responsibilities later. I want to jump a little because of time. You are a mother too many. I know that. I've seen it. Um, I've felt it. I've, um, you know, I really, for listeners, really got to know Charlene and her partner Fouad in the UK, where I would, um, I was staying in a shithole town. Um, and I would go to London and Charlene, often it would be because Charlene would say, when are you coming? You need to come. You need to get out of that shit all town. <laughs> I, would, I would go to their place. And he would feed and, you. Uh, and that's also massive, and right? Yeah. Yeah. And Charlene and Ford would, you know, I'd stay with him for a few days often. Um, and I would then go back feeling um, like I was, like I'd had a, I'd had an interaction with home, yeah, you know, yeah. home was my yeah. home. And so I have experienced how Charlene practices mother and care. I've experienced, I've experienced this myself. Uh, so I'm not speaking about it as like, Oh, I've watched this person do this thing um, in some kind of abstract way. And I've seen how much of yourself you give um, Charlene and I've also seen, which I think is also very much in line with how uh, mothers pull shit out of hat. Um, I've seen you more than I've seen most um, speak out, right, um, on things that, you know, that there's a kind of sexy around the topic and Charlene will go for the jugular. <laughs> I don't give a shit about sexy. Let me tell y'all. So, and I and I appreciate that. You know, I know, I know. I've certainly been very moved and inspired by that, both in speaking with you, hearing you speak, reading your work. Um, yeah. And so, I guess my I, I was hoping that we could spend a little bit of time speaking about how you see uh, your own practice if I can put it that way of mothering not that I am suggesting that it is always a kind of consciousness right because I think that we practice care sometimes we do it because that's how that's how you are you feel that's what you want to do and other times it is an active agential nurturing right that you go about um, in a very uh, specific manner and I want to, I was hoping you would speak a little bit about how, what some of your experiences have been, because you speak about you having had academic or art mothers, nurturers, carers, but you haven't spoken yet to how you actually do that yourself now. Uh, not only now, but, you know, um, you have been doing that. And, um, yeah, so I was hoping you'd speak a little bit about that and... Um, 
And then, okay, so maybe I want to speak about that first, and then I, I have another question, which I think leads off that. In terms of, I mean, I've, you know, the because of I've, as I said, I've, I've just had such amazing women in my life um, that has shown me that what the power of someone stepping in uh, has done. Um, it it has just always felt like like that's what you do, um, mm. and 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 tied up to to Christian belief, you know that that you're supposed to give a tenth of everything you earn away, and that mm. to whom much is given, much is expected. That has always been that, and you know my my mother would would do it just she would all she would just this was this was part of her life philosophy, you know. When when we would go to the Beta Street Clinic, when we we're, we're sitting in line and, and we'd sit in line the whole day at the clinic, uh, my mother would look at somebody else and she'd go she'd, she'd notice somebody who doesn't have anything to eat, and she would make us go and buy a coke and a pie for that person. Uh, she would she would uh, she would she you know from the stories that she told us about how she didn't have money to go on the excursion and she would cry and tell us these stories. Uh, all of my nephews and my niece grew up. If there was somebody in the class who didn't have money to go on, the, on an excursion, they would come back and tell my sisters, and my sisters would would then pay for children in their class and stuff like that. So, so we've grown up with the idea that you just this was part of who you are as a person, and that you were expected to do these things. It's not, it's not something extraordinary to give away, and and that. This this is how you are expected to be uh, and to do, um, and so mentorship comes from that. So because I've been given so much by the woman who stood in, yeah. Mm-hmm. So to break your, I just as you were speaking now, I just had a question: Were you expected to? Was there an expectation that you would have kids, or that some of this care was related to having children? So it's set up that no, way. No, never. <laughs> no, never. There was a. Uh, no, I just, there was, you know, growing up, I and I've become. I think even more. Like some of these things have come back to me uh, since having had a girl. The things that I'd be told, yeah. you know, growing up, like, um, you know, uh, girls need to know this, and you know, as a girl, you should know this because when you have, right, and the. The, the insinuation is when you have your children, and sometimes it's said, it's not only suggestive, um, that you will know how to. So, sorry, hence my question. It's a great question. Uh, because my sister fell pregnant at 16, and mm. I was I was um, 12 at that time, it was actually the, op- the, mm. the opposite. Okay. And I was the next, uh, the next person. It was yeah. you will have nothing to do with boys from now on. You are not allowed near. The, my uh, my parents changed completely. It was just it was like Fort Knox all around <laughs> after, after that point. It was it was it was horrible, and so yeah. it was so so I also understood how devastating that was for my for my mother and for and the shame and all of that so 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 there was there was there was no, I, I, from 12 
up until I was 13, there was no discussion around boys or babies or weddings or anything with me mm. at all. It was different with my brother, who was two years younger than me. When he went to school and he came back with love bites, which is disgusting, on his neck. <laughs> <laughs> they are disgusting. Yeah, I really. The other day is so gross. Oh. Okay, sorry. <laughs> There was these discussions with him, right? But uh, or my mother would, but 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 never with me. So it was, and and then they and and then when I finally introduced them to to Fuad, they simply introduced him to everyone as their son-in-law, even though mm-hmm. Fuad and I have have never gotten married. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But but and then and then so I raised my two. So when my sister uh, got pregnant. And she moved off to Joburg. My mother and I started to raise her two children. Uh, And so from the time I was 12 to 26, I raised these two kids with my mother. And by the time I was 26, I was hurtful. I I had enough. It was like my whole childhood went away. Mm. I was tired. And and at at the age of 25, I remember, because because at 5 o'clock I would have to wake up I would have to. I would have to get the kids ready for school. You know, I would have to iron their clothes, iron my clothes, and my brother's clothes, and my father's clothes. I would have to sweep the house and clean it and everything. You know, because others, everything's left to my mother. Come back from university, a long day at university. Attend to the children with the schoolwork. I give them a bath. I attend to their reading and everything. Then do my own university work. You know, and and one of my nephews, and in a few years you'll recognize this, but one of my nephews, he hated schoolwork, he hated reading. He would take like half an hour to get to the bathroom, he'd drag his feet, he'd go, he'd take like 20 minutes to drink a glass of water, then he'll go into the toilet, the next thing that you'll hear, there's a stamp on the roof because now he's taking toilet paper and making it into wet balls and throwing it on the roof. Oh my goodness. No way! He hated schoolwork, and so I would get so angry. And the other one, you know, who who I, I could terrorize, was younger. But this one just hated stuff. And I remember being twenty five, and I was so tired this one day, and I was hitting the the older one, and I realized as a child was crying and not responding to anything that I was actually hitting him because I was just tired. Mm. I wasn't because I was. I was angry at him. I was just hitting him because I was tired. And I looked at this kid's face and I was like, you know what? Mm. I'm not going to hit this kid anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. If all of these adults want to behave like this, I'm not going to do this. People can look after their own child. Yeah. I've lost my whole, all of my teenage years. I'm going to move out of this house and I'm going to sleep. I, I don't care what happens to these kids. I, I'm sorry what's going to happen, but I, I, I need to move right now. Yeah. And, and, and that was it. And and then I made this decision that when I if I if I ever chose to have kids, I'm going to have my car, my house in place. I'm going to have my doctorate in place. I'm going to have all of those things. So I'm never going to be tired again, and I'm never going to hit a kid again in that way. Sure. And then by the time by the time I had all of those things in place, I'm over forty. It became difficult, and it's and then it was it's it is what it is, and. I don't, it, it's not like I sit and I go, oh, I'm so, I'm so sad about it and I'm so sad it didn't happen. I still, I still have this very jarring visual picture of what it was like to raise two kids yeah. and, and, yeah. and how exhausting it was. 
and yeah, there's also this thing about oh, I remember how cute they were, and I, when my when I see my granddaughter and everything, I'm like, oh, she's so cute. Yeah, you can have her back now, which is <laughs> <laughs> um. So, so getting back to the whole mentorship thing, you know, it, it it's always just been a part of the the whole trajectory. You know, it's like it's like it's a matter of you have so much, you know how difficult it can be. You simply have to do this, right? It just it just always feels like a very natural part. Uh, I don't always think I'm gracious in it. Like uh, there's a number of, of of students that, and I have to, and I have to, I have to say it's it. There's there's a number of white students, for instance. Like I've meant, like I've mentored, and they will use things that I've said. They will use uh, uh, things that I've done and stuff. And they will just not credit you back. Sure. They will even use stuff that that like, like your your words verbatim, and they just won't yeah. give you credit. No. And That's yeah, and it's like, but part of Black feminist history and lineage is to pay homage to that yeah. lineage, to show the the yeah. kinds of works, because because you know what it's like not to be acknowledged, right? Mm-hmm. And and to be erased out of those histories, and. And and you know and and male students also do this a lot as well. Mm. Like they just they've just come up with all of this stuff by themselves. They just came to know about the black feminist killjoy because walk, walking down the road, they just tripped over this thing by themselves, you know? Yep. They've just come across radical ne- negativity having sat on the toilet that morning. <laughs> <laughs> so so I think I think that's you know that 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 you know we talk about genealogies and and you know there's a whole history of feminist genealogies that have been giving whether we're reading of these genealogies in books um and 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 these and people have been mothering us mm. through through their works bell hooks may not have had children or Audrey Lord I don't know if she's had children or not but Think of how many people they have mothered that they Absolutely. will never meet. How many of us Absolutely. have come through to healthy spaces and who are healthy versions of ourselves because mm. of having encountered a bell hooks book, Absolutely. having encountered Toni Morrison, Absolutely. having encountered Sarah Ahmed, you know, mm. and, and, and so, for for me, it is it is very important to call up somebody and say, you know, come over, come over, have something to eat, um, come over, let's meet. Um, I do care about you. I don't always get it right, you know, because between having a full time job, which I, which I need, making artwork, which is what I'm really about, but I don't get a chance to do that on a full time basis. Mm. Having having to write articles, which again is not something I want to do, but uh, life has shown me that my voice is necessary, and so I have to write. Uh, between between uh, doing things like the conferences and the reading groups and all of that, uh, it takes a lot of energy. And sometimes I, I sometimes just I, I don't get the time to sometimes just sit down and go, "Hey, how are you?" Mm, yeah. uh, there's also the the flip side to that in that. There's people who take and take and take. So, sure. so sometimes, like I mean, like a few weeks ago, somebody uh, you know sent me an email, 
and they're like, here's, here's a body of work I'm producing. Uh, give me feedback. Uh, I haven't heard from this person in four years. Give the me next feedback. day, yeah, they called me up and said, did you get my email? Hmm. Uh, no, how are you? Hi, how are you? Are you well? Yeah, hmm. nothing like that. Like they haven't spoke, but like, you know, they just want something from you, mm. like literally. And and I'm and I'm not exaggerating for the sake of this talk. Literally, I picked up this phone. Hi, did you get my email? I'm like, <laughs> we haven't spoken in four years. Mm. And, and and so you know th there is that flip side to to mentorship where people don't feed into you, where they don't water into you, and so I'm I'm also very uh, cautious because uh, last year I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is uh, you know uh, the brain's inability to to deal with trauma uh, with pain, and that's something that came out of all the trauma in my life, um, mm. and so. Uh, when when I'm really in struggling with pain and I'm really struggling with fatigue, which is the real uh, issue, sometimes I struggle with. Uh, I have to take time to, to 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 take care of myself, which I try to do. Uh, and so there's there's a limit on what I can do and what what projects I can take on. And so there's things I have to like say no, I can't do this now. I really have to take this weekend off. I really have to take this mm -hmm. week off. I have to sometimes just say no, I can't write your text. Uh, no, there's really I just can't do this right now. Mm -hmm. And people get really really upset. Um, and and there's and there's really sometimes lack of understanding and really little uh, care. Uh, because people are desperate for mentors, they really are. Um, so, so I, I take on, I take that role very, very seriously, of course. Uh, but, 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 um, I, you, I always think that you know the the, the mentors that I have, I, 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 I feel like I always need to invest in them as well. It, it always has to be yeah. a back and a back and forward with all yeah. the people that that we have. Yeah. What? Ah. Uh, ah. What? Uh -huh. What are you asking for? Use your words. Mama. Mama. Um, is this is is this um uh, art? That is art, love. What? Uh, <laughs> are you eating, Amo? Uh. Uh huh. Uh, hmm? uh, up. Uh, up. Uh, up. Finish your food. Finish your food. I'm quite enthralled. I think that's why I'm so quiet, Charlene, um, around your capability around telling stories. And the sense that I get, um, or your storytelling capability, um, the sense that I get is that it, it's like a generational thing. So I can almost imagine... Um, as you said, your mom telling you stories and where that kind of came from the story around your grand grandmother making um, hand hand making lace right um, but I just find it incredible that uh, and often uh, more often than not it 's women that really hold that space for yeah. the family and in a way stitch together a narrative of what a family looks like and what it means and in so much mm -hmm. of that process. There is mem mem remembering and forgetting, as you say, right, around what we choose mm. to omit and what we choose to tell our children. Um, mm. 
And I find, I just, I think that that's something for me that I have been thinking a lot about um, and how that plays mm -hmm. into your daily mothering practice, whatever that looks like um, with your children or with mm -hmm. the people around you who you mother, um, but also what that looks like in the, in the long game. So how, a, how a child, a child becomes an adult who then, how do they identify themselves in the world um, from coming? How do they, how do they, um, what is their position within the world? And I'm not talking about it from a political point of view or whatever. I'm, I'm currently um, on a on a course called Umama Where To, where we're looking at social justice and like a kind of indigenous knowledge um, and and care and 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 ritual and practice. And what was interesting is that we had the first session um, this past the, the the Wednesday past, and the initial kind of session was just to introduce oneself and two or three people introduce themselves within a broader context of like, I am the daughter of, and, and then not just the name, but also what that looks like. And we, we know that we, we've come across people like that in, in South Africa who do that. That's a very um, indigenous way of being in the world, but it is, it, it feels, mm -hmm. it isn't, it isn't the, the, the modernized way of being in the world where you, you kind of are your, so, so in a, Sorry, I'm not, I'm really not being articulate, but like thinking through your your bio, you had two bios, right? The first bio, the, the the formal bio, the one that you kind of show to the rest of the world is yourself, where you speak about your achievements and like that kind of a thing. And it's kind of it can be read almost in isolation, even though you realize that it's in in within community that you're able to do those things, right? But it's 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 not explicit in that particular bio. The second bio is a lot more informal and actually you do speak about yourself relationally, even if it's implied. And I just think I'm I'm starting to just spend a lot more time thinking through the role that mothers play in in literally the fabric of our lives, like putting together the textiles of who we are um, in terms of the storytelling uh, narrative. So that's very lengthy and tangential, but that's kind of what I I've been thinking about a lot since you've been talking. Mm. I mean, that, that's a really beautiful question, um, yeah. Kathleen. Um, I think we all are repositories of stories, you know, mm. uh, every single person. Um, it's just, it's just, you know, with, with, with cultural dominance, some, some, some people's stories are given more credence than other people's stories. Um, what I found with like the, the, this work around when the moon waxes red is that, uh, and Adi, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember when we were in Cape Town for Becky Peterson's conference, where I was doing the keynote, but when, when you know, people asked me like, like these academic questions afterwards and this like that, and then after the room emptied, um, there was somebody who was the cleaner, and she came to me afterwards and like with tears in her eyes, and she says, she said to me, thank you for that, and you must keep doing the work that you're doing. Mm. Wow! And I was like, yeah, you know, th 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 this means more to me than 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 the room full of 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 people sure. I just spoke to, you know, yeah. um, sure. because because uh, the you know all of those academic questions are great, but this means something yeah. to this person yeah. in the same way that that I made it. Yeah. Uh, and mm. and um, and 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 I find that that even sometimes you know people may not have the words for it, but they connect on that level that I'm going through something and you made a work that speaks to me, mm. and 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 that's the power of 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 creativity. I think that it 
it sometimes we use words sometimes we use visuality sometimes we use music sometimes we use um dance or movement um sometimes we just even use silence and we just sit together uh uh and and all of that is the you know human ability to communicate and to feel like we are in you know connected um and that we identify with each other mm. and in a world that's so fractured you know i think that's what that's what we always needing to be reminded that regardless of 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 all the various identity politics and i'm somebody deeply invested in identity politics sometimes we do, do need to be reminded that we are fundamentally one right and we are we are we are one one group of human beings and not only that we are we are a group of people that need the actual space that we are on we need we need to be in touch with earth mm. that we are on we are not going to find our our space out there on mars and jupiter and the moon we we've got this incredible beautiful planet that we are here on and and that's what we need to sustain ourselves each other and this this incredible planet mm. uh, and i think and i think that's you know um that that that's the, that's the community i grew up with you know it wasn't just women that passed on and I, and i think women are incredibly central to telling stories and passing on this wealth of information to do this work but um like in, in the community that i grew up up in uh men were equally as as wonderful storytellers mm. so so it would sit every time the lights went out and the lights used to go out a lot in those days <laughs> we would sit around uh, you know bolas um, fires made in drums and all the horror stories <laughs> and 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 the stories around graves and highway sheila which is a ghost who used to haunt this one highway with <laughs> so all of this stuff and I love those things and so it it is to be incredibly fascinating all of these stories that we kind of grew up with around the community of a woman who who committed suicide and left her two month old child and then used to come and haunt that whole uh, road uh, as she cried for her child so it used to be incredibly fascinating the the way uh, people used to tell stories in those days um Yeah. I just feel like I missed out on a cultural moment because of my youth that I wasn't able to understand the value of those stories. Mm. So so even so even that last week the last few weeks before my dad died I I came back and I was so tired having completed that PhD in 3 years. He kept trying to he kept coming and he kept sitting with me and telling me all of these stories about his youth and stuff like that. Mm. And I was like I don't know why he's doing this. and i was just i was like this is really good stuff but i was too tired to even press like like mm. play play on my, yeah. you know record on my cell phone uh and i just didn't understand that here was and and we have this belief in our community that before somebody dies they try to tell you their stories oh wow that's and, mm. and I, I just wasn't sensitive to the moment sure Sure. Wow. Yo. Wow. 
Ayo, Shalene, I feel like we could literally just keep speaking. I, I also feel yeah. that way. And I, I must admit, like normally I'm super chatty, but I've literally just, I feel transfixed actually with the way that you tell stories. I, and feel incredibly grateful to be on the receiving end of them. And yeah, I like, it's, it's, it's such a remarkable thing. It actually also in a way kind of makes me feel like it's strange that you, that you said, Dee, that like after seeing uh, Charlene, you would go home and feel like you had had or go back to the shithole <laughs> and feel like you'd had a moment to be at home, right? Because yeah, it, yeah. it transports me to home in the sense of like going yeah. back to KwaZulu-Natal and sitting around the dinner table with my great my grandmother and my aunts and uncles and all of them, as you say, being these incredible storytellers. Um, it also makes me ask the question, Charlene, and, and maybe this is this is not linked to motherhood at all or mothering or whatever, but you said people used to tell incredible stories in those days. And it, I mean, obviously what you're implying is that it less so now. And do, is that is that indeed what you're saying? And if that's the case, what do you think that shift has been attributed to? Um I, well, no, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that. I, I, I think I think there's there's something particular in my family, for instance. So a lot of my mother's generation has has passed away, uh, and so there's a there's this yawning gap in my family where a lot of us who are younger we don't bond in the way that that my mother's family d- uh, does. We don't get together in the way that they that they did because it was like a huge break in the family uh you know since the death of one of us and so i i, I don't believe that, that 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 has 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 fallen away because i think in communities across the world you'll find that they are great storytellers mm. that people still bond in those kinds of ways mm-hmm. so i think this is is a particular uh kind of familial. personal mm. um and i i think i think also sometimes uh, sort of younger generation who didn't grow up with particular community settings mm. might also, but but sto- storytelling yeah. never dies off. If you look at the Lord of the Rings mm. <laughs> uh, as a movie, mm. or you know the, all of those things, sto- storytelling keeps evolving. People mm. don't sit through six hours of 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 movies because they 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 don't you know there's no storytelling anymore because people absolutely. you know sto- people absolutely love stories. Mm. By the way, talking about being at home. I can never see these parents because <laughs> these parents remind me so much of my mom and dad that every time I see them, I start bawling my eyes out. When she sees my dad in particular, it's actually really creepy. <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? What is can I say, up? actually, that Dee actually, so Dee made, made mention of your work before in a previous episode, and she said as much. She said it was super weird yeah. for her that every time you see her dad, you start bawling. Yeah, her, her dad's kind of got that huge belly and yeah, stuff yeah. like that, yeah, that, yeah. My, that my dad had. Yeah. And so, and, and, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm quite skinny. But I have a huge personality, yeah. so so it's it's it takes it takes a huge kind of person to kind of yeah. comfort me and hold me, and yeah. and and my dad was a huge yeah. person, and and so I I kind of you know when I met Dee's dad, he rem- he reminded me of that, yeah. and I just bawled because you know you you never you know. 
you will never find that again. And so it's yeah. like I remember once when I I lost exam papers. <laughs> So, as 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 academics, you 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 realize how how terrible this is. That you know the exam papers have been sent. They went off to the moderator. They came back. Now I'm supposed to administer the papers, and I lost them. And 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 I was I was in a department where the the you know I was I was stepping in for someone, and they disliked me intensely. I don't know why. Um, and so I I. And I remember now I have to go and tell them uh, that I've lost the exam papers. And my dad drove me uh, that day to the to the to the department, and I I was I was just like sitting outside, and and he says, and my dad says to me, just remember something: your dad, your father isn't dead. And I looked at him, and and I read the and, and I said yes, and I walked out. And as I'm walking up the stairs, I, you know, the kind of I've read the kind of dualistic meaning in that, right? You know, mm. between my dad and like Father in Heaven kind of thing. And I felt mm. rather, rather rather brave about that. Like, yes, of course. You know, I always have my home. Mm. My you know, my dad is there. I don't have anybody in the world to fear. You know, mm. between Father in Heaven and my own dad, who's Basically, the most terrifying person on earth <laughs> that I literally have nobody to 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 fear, and and so I mean it was hilarious because I lit- I went and I said to them I lost the exam papers. They asked me questions. I said they never answered them. It was the most bizarre thing as people tried to ask me questions and I answered nothing. And we can see how chatty I am, and I never answered anything. I just. Stay quiet the entire time because I said, "Well, the papers were lost. I had to reset the questions. I had to call this to this person who was on leave from leave. She's the nicest person on earth. She tried to ask me questions. I also didn't answer. <laughs> Completely weird. Till, till, till that again, that was over. I don't know, twenty years ago. She's still so nice and friendly, and is a friend. <laughs> so." You know, I it's a, so I'm not somebody who, you know, having now lost my father, there is no home to go to, having established myself as my own person. But so when so when I see so when I see these father and mother, it's like mm. they, they remind me of home and a space that mm. that that yeah, that I that I don't that I will always miss like till the day that I die and I think like, okay. You know, when I was younger, I had these all these things of what heaven might be. Heaven is a place you get into if you're good and if you're this and if you're that. And now heaven is just like maybe heaven is a place where we're just the best versions of ourselves. And hopefully, like my dad is there waiting with his big belly out. <laughs> and when I when I when I come when I approach there, he's just waiting to give me one of those big bear hugs. And I know my mom will be peeking out from behind him, Aww. and she'll she'll say that the mutton curry is ready. No, I was gonna say she'll feed you. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's that's my idea of heaven now. Wow, wow, Charlene, thank you. Wow, I don't even know how to close this. So let's close with with thanking the two of you for like these really wonderful, honest conversations. Cause 
I think it's fantastic what what both of you are doing. Uh, you both are really incredible uh, in terms of your own scholarship, but just just also just giving so much of meatiness to these kinds of ideas, right? And how we think about these things. Thank you so Thanks, much, Nadine. Yeah, thank you. Mm. Okay. Okay. This has been such an incredible episode. Yeah, thank you very much. I've actually sent Dee a side message saying, okay, I'm officially a fan and when can we all have dinner? So we'll have a conversation about that or we'll just stalk you or I'll come up to your beautiful house in Auckland Park and I'll need to come and see it for myself. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Charlene. Have a good evening. Thank you Bye, so folks. much. Bye. 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 Hey, I'm Kathleen. And I'm Dee. And you're listening to Mamas with Attitude, otherwise known as MWA. Mama, 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 attitude. The same way I immerse myself in my career. Yeah. You've now immersed yourself in motherhood. I've now immersed myself in motherhood. Mommy is a bounce. Mommy is a bounce. Is mama's the bones? Weird. Yeah. You know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and forms. Mama, mama, mama. <laughs> no, actually, seriously, on a serious note, it's it's been really dope. Thank you. Okay, bye. Mama, 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 mama. 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 Attitude.